When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now, and I'm excited to have with me Allison Krauss and Robert Plant, who are back together. There was an incredible album, as you may remember, called Raising Sand in 2007. They are back with an album that is at least as good. It's an absolutely beautiful album called Raise the Roof, and it's out November 18th. And I'm so glad to have you two with me. Thank you. Thank you. What a great introduction. Robert, I was really struck by, I've I've seen you live in recent years, and your voice is always strong. How do you keep it where it is? Because especially a lot of people, your peers, sometimes they've blown their voices out by this point. Yeah, well, mine does get worn out. I've got a lot of friends who are within the same age group as me who are still singing from the 60s and stuff. And, you know, it's just a matter of, like all singers, bringing it in gradually, giving it some respect. And it's remarkable because if you sing regularly and more and more, the the whole deal changes and you maintain the flexibility that you require to be able to do the job properly. Like right now, I haven't sung for a, a month or so, two months maybe. So we're doing some work together right now and I'm, I'm having to take it steady. My voice is a bit scratchy and that, but it'll work. It'll be fine. Just slowly bring it back again. Yeah, if you saw me before with the space shifters or whatever it is, you know, that was a real telling experience because there was a lot of flexibility in it but this is even more so because it requires a rigorous comprehension of melody and um, trying it with varying amounts of success to kind of dig into our forte which is to be able to sing together which requires a lot of uh, control and the capacity for the voice not to be too tired otherwise you can't do the parts it's not free form this is not particularly free form whereas what you saw before if i wasn't having the greatest night i could duck certain areas everybody does that you know you can skip uh, around weak parts of the vocal range and they'd be back the next night you know but anyway bottom line is i think if i'm happy i can sing okay and if i feel comfortable and without sounding too patronizing to my partner here i feel really good that we were able to make it work with this choice of songs i mean the wrong songs and it wouldn't work allison i know the challenge especially at the beginning was the fact that robert never necessarily sang anything the same way twice and that in your world and to do what you do you really needed to get that precision to harmonize with him how was it to refine that balance and that collaboration for you this time? Oh, it was. It felt like no time had gone by when we got back together this time in the studio with T-Bone and a lot of the same faces mm. that played on the record previous. It was just great. 
it was uh, a lot of fun to all be back in the same room. How much of it is just unspoken? You start singing and you find your parts and how much of it is, you know, negotiation? Well, it's not negotiation. It's just whatever is appropriate. The natural kind of rock and roll idiomatic harmony singing is just by chance. I don't mean like the close harmony groups like Poco and the Birds and <clears throat> the Eagles and stuff, but I mean, coming from the kind of rootsy R&B rock and roll of the 60s and 70s rock, it's almost like an afterthought harmony, whereas this is, um, you know, we have to think about what's most appropriate for the, for the melody line, and Alison's really great at that. I'm curious what songs maybe almost made the cut this time. What, what were things you were talking about recording that didn't quite make it, if anything? Hmm. We were throwing stuff across the Atlantic back and forth in this wondrous age. So, yeah, I guess there was some, there was a great Dusty Springfield piece, really. Remember that? I don't. Hmm. Summer's Almost Over, I think it's called. Yeah, and there's a great Del Shannon, late, very, very late Del Shannon stuff post, uh, I think when he's working with Dave Edmonds. <clears throat> it's all about the kind of, th these melodies and the, and the fact that the songs quite often are coming from really radically juxtaposed places on the musical map. And we try to find those pretty little vignettes, stuff locked away in the corners of everybody's memory. It does feel like there's a, a mini genre that the two of you have in these two albums. And it's, it's something very specific. It's sort of a haunted dream space Americana. It's not anything that is contrived. I suppose it wouldn't sound terribly natural <clears throat> if it was contrived. You know, T-Bone is an amazing caster of personalities in the yeah. studio, and they have such an identity with what they play. And I, th I think that was a... He couldn't have cast the record any better than he did. Yeah, it's really far out because, you know, everything begins with the lope and the groove on these tracks and elaborates and as tracks build there's a more of a kind of percussive thing going on almost subliminally it's you know in another world with different kind of material we're heading into in at times some of the outros that on these tracks are just as important as the melody lines because they give you the groove of where we're at and where the room is at when we're recording there were a few efforts to try this again. I think in 2010, you did some sessions or one session with Daniel Lenoir, the two of you, that didn't come to anything. What, what do you remember about that one? Well, we weren't there together, so it wasn't the two of us. No, but it was the same plan, wasn't it, really? We were just seeing what we could do with Dan, um, which was really good. I mean, his enthusiasm and his personality are quite well known. <laughs> And um, don't know why I laughed then. The deal was to, to maybe even think about writing stuff with him. I think there's about six or seven ideas that we pull together. And Dan is he's a real masterwork in the studio. He and he's got the facility in every respect to build and develop music. But I was kind of in a way 
drawn back to that feel that we had with Raising Sun, the whole, again, that groove that was coming out with Rich Woman and um, Fortune Teller and all that sort of stuff that we had going on, which was a little bit more jungly. And again, I think that goes back to the rhythm section and Jay and Dennis Crouch uh, at that time. So whatever we might have done, it, need, it still needed to have this personality which we've got here. And it's a funny thing, yeah, because people saying, well, where are we going to put this record? Where does it go? Where does it fit? Why has anything got to fit? Did, you know, if Dr. John just put out the Night Tripper album, where would that fit? What, what's this thing about fitting? You know, well, it's not Americana, um, <laughs> but it could be. It's not country, definitely not, but it's not rock. I don't know what it is. It's not uh, Neil Diamond. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. The New Orleans thing is definitely there as well, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, exactly that. that. You know. Well, Two Saint is on every record. Yeah. Well, there's only two records right now, but he will always be on records because he's, he's feel. In fact, on the a, on a closing track on the record, the piano player actually did a couple of Two Saint licks at the end of his solo in the middle of the song. Somebody's been watching. Just if there's any members of the Two Saint family, they would have caught that little tag on the piano. Important music down there. And then the one uh, original on this album, they're all original in their way, but the one original composition is High and Lonesome, which I guess came together as, as some kind of studio jam, and you started looking at a, a notebook of lyrics you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Take me down, down to the river, lift me high upon the flood. I like the title, I kept saying. You know, this is sort of... what what. It's high and lonesome. Well, they It's they a Jimmy use Reed that. song. Oh, yeah, it's a great Jimmy Reed song, but... but well, they uh, use it to describe bluegrass tenor singers and, and that uh, sound that they have. That's a very common phrase in that world uh, with a great tenor singer. High and lonesome. <laughs> That's the other way of looking at it. Jimmy Reed at his best. Um, you know, I just thought it was... I mean... Lyrically, it's my normal meander, my condition with ice. and uh, But I liked the idea of bringing that in because I knew that I was actually pushing my finger at a certain genre, even if only, only in terminology. I thought there was something kind of funny about that. Not funny, but associating myself with it, but not with it. I, as near as I can get is to actually know Alison, who knows people who sing like that. There's always, on both albums, there's always moments where you push into harder rock, at least briefly. Uh, is that an element that you feel that you have to kind of keep in control in this context because otherwise it takes over? Or how do you kind of see it? And I know that, Alison, on stage, that was not fun for you at the beginning of the last tour. 
So, uh, oh, just no, the, at all the... the part that wasn't fun was that he sang so off the cuff all the time, and to, and to be a harmony singer, it's hard to harmonize if someone is constantly in that state, which is magical if you're not trying to harmonize. But if I'm <laughs> trying to harmonize, it didn't make it easy. That's um, that to clarify that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, yeah, thank you. Um, but the music has got to have a dynamic. And, I mean, we so we can go from, well, as little Lester Phillips said, from a whisper to a scream, it's really just, uh, it's just part of the nature of what we do. But it's, it's not going to take, nothing's going to take over because I suppose the most important part of what we do together is that we, we don't do anything for very long that can be categorized, so we just touch on stuff. It's about color, and, and somebody I used to know said, it's all about light and shade. I've heard that, I've heard that before. Um, yeah, it's not a really original thing to say, but it's, um, <laughs> but even talking about music's a bit of a, like, what on earth, are we, are we trying to flog a dead horse? Um, <laughs> just like we're doing it anyway but it is just like it's power and then it's restraint it's just it's like life Alison in the early birth of this collaboration when you kind of got the first call I mean before the first album what did you know about Robert and how much of a fan had you been of his music obviously you come from an entirely different world but you know you weren't on another planet so you had some some familiarity but what was kind of your state of knowledge about his work. He's looking at you very intensely now, yeah, let it be noted. I could feel that. Yeah. The, um, you know, my my real-time experience with him, you know, as Robert was putting out music, was from MTV. You know, his solo work, you know, Big Log and In the Mood and that stuff. Uh, we loved that. And my brother is really who introduced, you know, his early stuff um, that he would be listening to that in his room and, and he'd just have his head in his hands. I just can't believe it. You know, just loved it so much. And, you know, and I recognized tunes from the radio, but it was, a, you know, uh, a generation before, just a, you know, a decade before that that stuff was coming out, that I was having my own musical, uh, what would you call it? Romance. Journey, yeah, mm. romance. Um, and that <clears throat> was with Robert Solo, solo music as my own you know, hearing it new as he was making it. Well, what's funny is, Robert, I, I don't think you yourself are a huge fan of your 80s solo work. Oh, um, do you know, normally I would say that anything that's more than five years old that I've done, uh, I have to think, well, how did that work out? Was I Was that working? And there are bits and pieces of all of it that really do resonate still with me. Um, and I, maybe um, I was trying to catch a drift of stuff that came through. I was really impressed by David Byrne way back. And um, I was deep into big black, black flag, you know. There were lots of different areas that I was really... Once 1980 came along and I lost my friend, I really was able to just experiment for the first time. I didn't... They were all collaborations, but they were all different. And I do now think, more recently I've been, I had a little 
podcast called Digging Deep, and I was able to look at some of the songs. And and if I look at them in isolation and don't think about what surrounded those particular eras, then there's some brave stuff. What I think worried me post, by the time we got to the year 2000 or something, was um, I was always trying to escape the shadow of what had happened to me between 1968 and 1980. So I was trying so many different things just to expand myself without really worrying about taking along an audience that only wanted me to be um, on autopilot. So I made good music and I made questionable music, but I did it all with great flurry and... um, there's only a minor embarrassment now. Maybe mm. the hair, perhaps a few dodgy haircuts and uh, trying to hang on. I mean, when you're maximum rotation on MTV, <laughs> it's just how the, how the hell did that happen? From the Hammer of the Gods to um, Big Log. Oh, but that was so mysterious. We loved that. I can tell we you are, all about we, that. We, we loved that. Yeah, I think it's some of the looks in the videos that, that maybe you're, uh, <laughs> you're not <laughs> thrilled with these days. Is that, is that what you're saying? I don't think there's anything wrong with, wrong with paisley jodhpurs and um, white uh, belly shoes. Uh, I, don't, I, I mean, how I enjoy, you know, when you, you love uh, what someone does, following those changes. They don't, I don't, I, I love the changes and choices and watching what, what people do. I, yeah, I mean, I don't want to look back at my own, but I've seen pictures of yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if 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 David Bowie was here now, he probably was, and, and, you know, sad that we gradually fade and vanish. But uh, he he probably would have finished his metamorphosis by now, you know. So, but as eras go. People lock into a particular era because with music and the look and whatever it is, it's paramount for people at that time. It's their big, big time, big flurry. So later on, you know, the artist may feel a little bit odd, but people have actually subscribed to that particular period as a part of the events of their life. So um, I don't know if there's anybody that actually... When I was chest of the year in 1970, I didn't know I'd be wearing Paisley Jodhpurs in 19... 19- uh, 86 or something singing the little by little but I liked it all you know I was having a go I was very uh, big in Morocco Alison did you have expectations or sort of even trepidation about what Robert would be like when you worked together based on legends proceeding and how did the reality clash against that perhaps when she's guys first started working together no I didn't have any uh any any worries about it other than when we got together with T-Bone and uh, T-Bone brought the songs together and he said my goal is to make both of you as uncomfortable as possible you know he was wanting to uh, you know have us do things that we hadn't done before Mm. in the studio and so that was equally as inspiring as it was daunting yeah Yeah. so I mean no I didn't have he was uh, the first conversation I had with with T-Bone was about Ralph Stanley and of course you know I loved that he was he brought up 
driving through the the mountains in East Tennessee, North Carolina, and listening to one of my favorite records, and he was doing that, you know, in the 70s. And so, you know, I was oh, I felt like I had an instant uh, appreciation for kind of who he was. It's something that I've always loved to do is is hear the the music of the region, Mm. you know, and so knowing that he was doing that with our heroes, you know, from, from my world and um, anybody who has asked, you know, that comes from bluegrass land, you know, what Robert's like, and I tell them that story, and they adore him. Well, there's nothing worse than being typecast, you know. I mean, you can only do what you do, and my whole deal has always been to try and, and um, challenge myself in the company that I keep musically. And... Um, and I think that just means that everything that has happened is just part of the whole game, you know. It's like a kind of crossword puzzle, really. Of As a singer, never mind the reputation and the legend, That's because so much of that is just like, who's going to really take that seriously, for God's sake? Um, it's just fodder for people. But, yeah, here we are in the years as Neil used to say, and I think we're really, um, it's its happening. My reputation now is really trying to stay awake. I mean, can he do that? Will he do the whole day? I don't know. <laughs> and never mind the tequila. Robert, I remember a story where when the two of you were first together that you were kind of just singing on a couch with Allison and that you felt very sort of naked because you, you said something about that, that you like to be at a SM58 and able to sort of project your persona. And this felt uncomfortable for you at first. What do you remember about that moment, if anything? Well, exactly that, yeah. I'm, I mean, Allison's, I've been in Allison's place when the Cox family have come to stay, her friends from uh, Louisiana. And they sit around, they sing, and it's just heavenly because they know these parts the parts that Alison was telling you about, you know, the, all the vocal parts. I sit down and go, oh, baby, oh, look how you got me standing around crying. Now, how, what else is anybody going to do in that parlor while I'm making that noise? You can't go, ooh. So it was quite weird to um, actually sit there and say, okay, here's the song. What key shall we play it in? And I never thought about what key things should be in or... I think in um, in Zeppelin, quite often, everything was in E because you got much more out of the bottom of the guitar. So, um, you know, I should have gone to one of those castrati schools in, in northern Italy <laughs> to try and get it right. Um, but, yeah, I just I think that we, we find out where to go and we, we put our reputations true or false in the corner and we get on with what we're supposed to do and that is to really enjoy each other's singing and the company and humor quite famously allison what robert uh turned something down in order to do the first tour with you and went in your direction robert has talked about this how aware were you that you know he could have been off doing the thing that he did in the 70s as he put it uh but instead he kind of chose very impressively chose this new thing with you. It's kind of very flattering and, and fascinating from your perspective, I, I would imagine, that that's what he chose, if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I didn't think that there was a... Uh, I would have never even thought about that. 
And I don't think it was an either or. No, definitely not. That was nothing like that at all. No, definitely nothing like that. Basically, we were lined up to do what we were going to do. And that gig was a one-off gig for all the right reasons um, to start to kickstart a charitable trust for students in the name of Ahmet Ertegen, Turkish students to come to England and so on, back and forth, um, where scholarships could be gained. And it was quite an appropriate thing to do for a guy, in the memory of a guy, who um, who first put Ray Charles on the map, you know, and Aretha. These guys had made records before, but and Crosby, Stills and Nash and the MJQ and, you know, um, Iron Butterfly. You know, that was what it was all about. There were no choices. I was booked for this. More or less, this was just such a great opportunity for me to spend time in a totally different mindset with some stellar musicians and and great heart. But, I mean, yeah, not not to dwell on this, but... My impression was, and correct me, is that there was a tremendous pressure upon you to go in that other direction and you chose no, not to. No, 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 no. It's just like, a, you know, you got to get it right. It's a knee-jerk thing. Everybody's around going, look, this could be great. And you knew what it took to get it to that point. And you knew what it might take to... There was, I think the conversation didn't even involve three people. It was just... Everybody who got any extraneous connection with the, the guys who played that night or were excited at the idea of having the biggest tour the world had ever known. And to me, that seems to me to be superseded now by whoever it is next. It's just the game. The game. It's got to be right. Alison, the, the songs that you did, I don't know what you're going to do on, on this tour, but you, you've, you dip back into Robert's past on the old tour for example, you did the Battle of Evermore, which was an opportunity to recreate the only other male-female duet in Robert's catalog. What's it like to, to sing that song? Oh, I loved it. I love Sandy Denny. And, um, you know, I had just in the, gosh, I don't know how many years prior, it was a relatively new thing for me to learn about kind of that era of English music prior to us working together and so I had just got into Sandy Denny it's embarrassing to know I had made it that long in my life without having uh, you know a large experience with her music but I I was in another genre you Mm. know and my whole training has been in another area and so I heard her and was just blown away and then um, to get to sing something she had done and that's such a beautiful record they made together it was really fun to bring it back um, that way to, to get to be in, in that spot. And, um, and we also, we covered, uh, Maddie Groves mm. from Legion Leaf. And yeah. that was, oh, yeah, great. that was special in the tour to do that as well. What are you thinking for a tour this time? Um, Denny's about 4 p.m. I don't know. I mean, we'll do what we do. And, um, I've got a feeling, really, bottom line is that it'll shake a lot more. There'll be a lot more, um, I can't say jungly, but um, it'll just have a more pronounced groove, I think, because of the way that we've started to play and the way that this record has. Tell me about Somebody Was Watching Over Me, which I believe ends the record. 
pretty incredible performance. What do you remember about selecting that song and also just the recording of it? Well, um, I heard we played the same show together uh, a couple years back. Uh, Willie Nelson has a, a tour that he's done throughout the years called the Outlaw Tour, and he'll have a bunch of different people come and play. It's sort of like a mini festival. And we were on the same bill in 2018. Was it 2019? 19. And we played there, and he opened the show with that, Robert did. And uh, that was fantastic. And, uh, and then he brought it up again. It's a uh, old Rick. Well, you have the story. He brought it um, to yeah. the table. But yeah, it was. Um, you know the story about Mavis, Mavis Staples. When Pop Staples was at the end of his life, apparently he he gave her um, a little uh, widget. He said he, you know, from his laptop or whatever. He said. He said to Mavis, don't lose this. And it was the songs, and that was one of the songs. And I think Mavis took it to Jeff Tweedy, and um, it was Pop's last record. And it's just a beautiful song. Robert, what do you think of uh, Paul McCartney calling the Stones a blues cover band? <laughs> uh, these old boys, they like to get out. It's sort of, uh, you're just adjacent to that conflict. You're somewhere on the landscape they're fighting in, I would say. I don't think there's any fighting. They've known each other since 1963. They love each other desperately. <clears throat> he should just play bass with the Stones. There you go. That's, that would solve everyone's problems. Alison, what did you learn about the blues from, from Robert? Oh, wow. I, I suppose, um, for me, I guess what I learned most from from this whole experience is him in the studio and and watching his attitude about recording himself. And I've uh, always come from kind of a rigorous kind of recording style with my myself and my vocals. And I like to, you know, do them thousands of times and kind of wear it out. And I always think I'm going to come up with a better performance the more that I do it. And he was much more into capturing you know, that moment in time, and I've never recorded the same way since, you know, just my my own attitude about it, and, you know, almost remembering what recording is supposed to be like, you know, because you, you end up using the studio as a as a, another instrument or as a mm. tool, you know, when you really start to take advantage of the possibilities in there, in manipulating your own performance you know as far as having the opportunity to to sing something so many times and get your you know almost like uh, a perfection instead of uh, an excellence and it really brought me back to a, another place and a more centered place in working uh, was really I needed that kind of uh, smack well, the head, you know, like for myself, that's how I took it, you know. Yeah, because it's not a it's not a blues vocal, but it's whatever it is. It it seems to me that if you've got a lyric that you can really wrap yourself around, surely when you've done it four times max, you you got to have it. It's got to be there. Otherwise, then, and which is totally different for Alison. She's she's most of the time in her time at, out there on the boards. It's all been about harmonies and singing and absolutely getting it smack on and for me 
I think you got to mean it, and how long can you mean it for? And, you know, in this world here that I grew up in, you know, you'd watch these folks sing, and they're all, you know, the, the epitome of that style has always been done by families. So they all pronounce everything exactly the same. They they have such a natural phrasing. They've sang together their entire lives. And, and I remember watching, you know, Jim and Jesse and the Osborne brothers. And the Osborne brothers, not as much because they had such different voices. But like Jim and Jesse, that duet, you know, you couldn't. I would watch them and sit right underneath them, you know, when they'd play. Couldn't tell who was singing what part. It was so precise yeah. and beautiful. And that was... Uh, the feeling came from the stoicism of those vocals because they were so perfected. Hmm. And that hurt to listen to it that way where, you know, you have the complete opposite here with Robert and that spontaneity and that unpredictability is what hurts so bad. You, do you know what I'm saying? It's like um, it's such an opposite and um, we really met I've, I feel like really someplace really great in the yeah. middle in the process of recording that we were able to adapt, both yeah. of us, to have something more natural than... Yeah, we've got our own thing going on, and it, it incorporates all the schooling that we both had to get to this point now. And um, <clears throat> I think that's what's special about it. There's a lot of duets around. When you get rock singers singing with chicks and chicks singing with you know, people singing it out, but here we lean into each other's styles a lot more intensely I think um, that's what brings us together despite the years despite all the stuff in between and this is a a very late vacation mm. yeah, you said that Robert that every choice means more now you want to make sure that you're doing exactly what you want to do does that rank high in your mind just this idea of, of prioritizing at this point in your life and career well you can't you can't have to, you can have two trains running but You've got to know which one to stay with, which one takes the, the lead. I mean, I do believe that I must keep singing all the time. I don't want to lose that, my mojo, at all. I don't want to wait for a reunion tour. This is it, really, 14 years later, back. Here they come with their hit. Uh, <laughs> with their, which hit? Oh, yeah, Rich Woman. <laughs> but... Uh, yes, you finally did a reunion tour. That, yeah, this, was, this is, it. is Yeah, that's what we can call it. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, and if we ever tread the boards. Hmm. Robert, I know you went, you used some of the pandemic to go through your, your archives. What did you find there? I found a few names and addresses. Um, you know, um, people along the way that... It's just fantastic revelations of people that I knew, friends, many of whom are still around in those days. I had no way of chronicling stuff. So it was all about a chronicle of old demos, unissued tracks, every tour that I ever did, all the itineraries and the adventures, the letters. I found a letter from my mom, which I hadn't opened from 1967. And um, I opened it in wow. 2020. And it said, Robert, you should come home now. Sue is waiting for you, and the accountant's office, I'm happy to take you back. <laughs> I mean, it brought a tear to my eye because I thought, hmm, if I'd have opened that, I might have taken it up. Just imagine that. 
I'd be out <laughs> shooting pheasants somewhere now on the Welsh borders with a pair of plus fours. Jesus Christ. But how ironic that I never opened it. It was a letter from my mom. I get letters. Alison, the other, another amazing thing that happened to you in the first decade of the 2000s was the Oh Brother, Where Art There soundtrack. What stands out in your memory about that now? Oh gosh, yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm a, a bit of a homebody, so I'm not necessarily up on uh, lots of things that are current, and I've been that way for a number of years, and so I had heard that the record had been doing well, like I'd heard that it had done well, and we went to play in Kentucky, and I remember. Uh, Norman Blake went out there to sing Big Rock Candy Mountain and the arena screams that came from him starting the show like that. I was blown away. Really? Yeah, it was really emotional. And if you know uh, Norman Blake's music yeah. at all, um, he is, uh, he's had quite a career, but there is such an innocence about his songs and the way he sings and to hear that sound of the crowd come out when he started to, to sing that tune was really emotional and amazing. And, um, and that record to me, the soundtrack for that movie, uh, you know, T-Bone produced that. And he, uh, you know, we're actually sitting in the studio where that was all recorded as well. And he was so respectful of those musicians and those people, and those are all people we all grew up with, you know, the, the Whites and the Cox family and Dan Tominsky from Union Station sang the, the, the main tune, Man of Constant Sorrow. And he just, uh, T-Bone was wanted that in its most natural form as possible, you know, one microphone and people standing around and singing it. And it was just so respected. And it was, um, you know, a lot of times you hear the banjo in, you know, in a car chase scene or something you know you hear that in in that kind of yeah like you hear it in a you know always like oh always the chase scene i remember um one of the guys would say but but um <laughs> oh brother where art thou just uh showcased bluegrass music in such a beautiful way it was a really emotional thing mm. for the whole lot do you know when the tour will start what, do, what your plan is for the well we're going to have as many dalliances as we can and uh, we've got some offers which are almost on the table for early summer, maybe. We have a bunch of guys who are playing around us who are really great. Yesterday we played for seven hours. Wow. Yeah. And it sounded, and got some kind of friction groove going on. Hmm. And I, I assume that... I assume the two of you are, are vaccinated and are comfortable with, with vaccination requirements for the audiences that will likely come if you tour the U.S.? Who knows how it's going to be then? I know to get here, you have to jump through a million loop, loops and hoops, and I have to have conversations with Homeland Security, which, of course, I'm a great fan of, <laughs> just to get here, you know. But let um, me see how it all changes, what's going to happen. There's people like Eric Clapton who've been very vocal pushing back. Pushing back. Yeah, but he had the jab as well. He, he did. In the end, he, or rather <laughs> at the beginning, he did, he did actually have it, yes. Um, A lot of people do that. No, oh, no, no, this, as soon as somebody sticks it in your arm, they're going to know exactly what your story is. Well, tell me that they don't now, 
Um, I don't know. <laughs> Good old Eric. He didn't like the jab, but he had the jab. <laughs> Robert, it's interesting to me that, that the one thing you, you haven't done is say, is just knock the Zeppelin thing off the table permanently and just say, I, I'm never doing that again. Let the record reflect the answer. <laughs> Fair enough. Let me end by just saying, do you think that there could be a third album more quickly, which was the original plan the first time? Do you think that this could become more of a continuing thing and, and on a more rapid basis? I'm up for it if you are, honey. Yeah. yeah. We got hundreds of songs. We exchanged these songs across the sea, backwards and forwards, and we've got this far. And we've still got about 6,000 songs left. So if, it's, if it feels good and there's nothing in it, in, nothing to stop the flow, once we get touring, maybe we'll be able to pull up in some little town somewhere and set up and record. I mean, remember when we were on that tour and Buddy was with us and we went into canteen for, and recorded what you're going to do, Leroy. Yeah. During, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lefty Frizzell song. I yeah, yeah. A big, a big, big, um, a big popular guy on Rolling Stone. Uh, Lefty Frizzell, what you gonna do, Leroy? Well, my mother done told me a bare face lie. <laughs> With Stuart Duncan playing Phil. It was brilliant. I come from the land of the ice and snow. Can you imagine what it's like for me to be in the, sitting in the canteen behind the stage and just cutting the record? Boom. So if we can do that a little bit too, less structure, more feel and shake, we'll have it down. And that's today's show. Thanks again to Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's Volume, Channel 106. And in the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts if you can. It's really deeply appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.